Hello, I'm Maya. I'm Aline. And I'm Kataline. This is BNC's Silver Voices. Podcast where we keep you up to date on all of the Maryland news that you need to know. Thanks for joining us. Hey, this is Aline. And Kataline. This episode, we talked to John King, former Secretary of Education and Blair Dad, about his new organization, Strong Future Maryland. Strong Future Maryland is dedicated to bringing back the Maryland economy in a way that is equitable for everyone and looking into how we might reopen schools when the time comes. Enjoy the show. Let's see. So we have four areas that we're focused on at Strong Future Maryland. One is, of course, education. Um, We want to make sure that the legislature overrides the governor's veto of education funding reform that they passed last year that would get more resources to our students and teachers. We want to make sure the legislature uh, overrides the governor's veto of funding for historically Black colleges and universities in the state. Uh, And we want to make sure that the state moves towards a greater investment in early childhood education. A second area of focus is uh, social infrastructure or the social safety net. Things like making sure people can access paid family leave in the state. Uh, There are certain categories of workers who can't get paid sick leave, and so they have to go to work even when they're sick, endangering themselves and other people. We should change that and make sure everyone can get paid sick leave. So we'll work on those issues. Uh, We'll work on broad-based economic development, so making sure that economic recovery benefits people in the highest needs communities around the state, places that have sometimes been forgotten, like neighborhoods in Baltimore City or out on the Eastern Shore or in Western Maryland. And then the fourth piece is as we have an economic recovery, we have to make sure it's sustainable, that we address climate change, we reduce our reliance on carbon, uh, and we create good green jobs. So that's our that's our policy agenda, and we'll advocate in Annapolis, but we'll also work to build public understanding of those issues. And you said you would be investing in HBCUs and early education. Do you think that it's important to start with early education and making sure everyone has equal access? Yeah, I mean, I really think we should have universal access to quality childcare zero to five. Uh, If you look at the research on brain development, so much of brain development occurs in those first few years. And if you spend money on early childhood education, you actually save money later on the cost of Uh, incarceration, on the cost of folks who drop out of high school and can't find good jobs and can't contribute to the economy. So it's a smart investment to invest in early childhood education. It's also good for the economy because it makes it possible for uh, parents to work when they have good, reliable childcare. You also mentioned something about um, educating the public um, as well as advocating in Annapolis. Would you expand a little bit more on that? Sure. So, you know, we really think of Strong Future Maryland as building a movement for change. Um, And I worry sometimes that, especially here in Maryland, folks aren't necessarily aware of what's happening in Annapolis. Uh, They don't know what bills are being discussed. They may not even know who their local delegate or senator is. Uh, And so part of what we want to do is make sure people know that these issues are being debated that they understand how to participate and that their voices are heard. You know, you have to 
go to Annapolis to testify at a hearing. Maybe you have to wait all day just to have a little bit of time uh, in front of the committee to share your views. And so that's a real barrier to political participation for folks. So we really wanna build a movement. So we have a website, strongfuturemd.org, where we ask people to record their stories and tell us how this COVID crisis has affected them. And then we're gonna use those stories to share their experience with legislators so that they understand the stakes of these issues. So it's really about helping people know what the issues are, but also helping them get access to participation. And so what would you say are the most important things to consider in making the reopening of schools as safe as possible for everybody? And um, when do you think this might like realistically happen? You know, one hopeful thing is that the vaccines are being rolled out. Uh, I hope that teachers will be prioritized for the vaccines that will help us get school reopened more quickly. Obviously we have to get vaccines to healthcare workers and folks in nursing homes, but in the next group of essential workers, we should include teachers and make sure they get access to the vaccine. We have more and more evidence that schools, particularly elementary schools, can reopen safely if everyone wears masks, if there's physical distancing, if the ventilation is up to date in the school building, and if you have a system of testing and contact tracing so that you can identify if somebody is sick and they can appropriately quarantine and you can track who they interacted with so those people can quarantine as well. And we have evidence from a number of districts around the country that a, a thoughtful, comprehensive testing and contact tracing strategy can make it possible to open schools, but that costs money. And so one of the things that um, has to happen is Congress has to set aside significant funding so that schools can uh, provide masks, so that they can do testing and contact tracing. Um, if that happens, I'm hopeful that we could get uh, schools around the country safely reopened, at least at the elementary level, maybe at the middle school level as well, uh, you know, within the first few months of the next year. Um, what a lot of districts are going to do, I think, is try to start with elementary schools, then middle schools, and then potentially high schools, although the data on high schools suggests that high school students are more like adults in terms of the uh, likelihood that they're going to get and pass COVID. And so uh, it may take us a little longer on high school, but certainly elementary and middle school, given the evidence, uh, may be able to get reopened within the first few months of next year. Would you say it's also more critical um, for all the children in these like younger development stages to have earlier access to, um, to physical school? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's really hard for a you know, six-year-old to be on Zoom for five hours and get much from it. You know, the, for uh, uh, younger students, uh, so much of school is about their interaction with peers. It's about hands-on materials. Uh, math manipulatives, for example. Uh, it's really hard to keep kids focused on Zoom at those young ages. So it's very important to get elementary schools back open, again, safely. Uh, you know, I think, it's, I think it's easier for high school students to do online learning. At the same time, I have two daughters who are Blair students. It's really hard not to be in school. Uh, they miss their friends. They miss the social aspects of school, they miss the in-class 
collaboration and engagement with their teachers and peers. They miss extracurricular activities. Um, and so it's, it, this is a really hard period. I, it makes me sad to think about how much um, we've lost uh, for our kids over, over these months. Um, but I am hopeful that with the vaccine rolling out, with better systems around testing and contact tracing, uh, th this next year, 2021, will be better than 2020. Yeah, definitely, I hope so. Um, and what has been like the reaction from the general public about Strong Future Maryland? Like, have they been supportive? Yeah, well, we're just getting started, but people have been very excited so far. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback from legislators, from uh, community leaders, from other advocates who work on issues, uh, whether it's worker protections or um, environmental justice. A lot of enthusiasm for a progressive voice that will fight for a more equitable future in the state. Um, and you know what we'll do over the next few months in addition to our Annapolis advocacy is we'll be doing community events, talking to folks about their experience, what they want government to do differently. Um, first, those events will be virtual. Hopefully eventually they will be in person. And of course, as I mentioned, we're doing a lot of digital engagement through our website. Uh, through our Twitter account at Future Maryland, uh, and we'll continue to do that sort of digital organizing. Sounds like you guys are doing a lot. We are definitely trying to, and our executive director, Alice Wilkerson, uh, worked for Jamie Raskin, and she uh, helped support generations of young people through uh, the internship program that Congressman Raskin has, and also how even when he was in the state Senate. And so I'm hoping that lots of Young people in Montgomery County will be a part of our effort. So if there's anything else you want to add, um, how people can get involved, I think you said a little bit, but if you want to say again, how people can get involved with Strong Future Maryland? Sure. So they can follow us on Twitter at Future Maryland. They can check out our website, strongfuturemd.org. And on the website, you can sign up to join our newsletter. You can record a video to share your experience and talk about what you hope for for the future of Maryland. And once we get into the new year, we'll be doing community events and folks can participate in those as well. Well, thank you so much for um, joining us today for our podcast. Um, and yeah, thank you for all the work you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much to John King for speaking to us today. We hope you enjoyed the show and be sure to tune in for the next episode of Silver Voices. Stay safe, Blazers. Mm -hmm.